Thanks, Courtney, and good afternoon, good evening, everyone. Uh, my name's David Burge, and I'm on our church's pastoral team as a minister here in the church. And it's so exciting to see Australians still like to sing and uh, to sing carols. And I feel like tonight's going to go very quickly and we could sing more and more carols, but also aware of time constraints uh, with young children and so on. So it's a short evening, but I trust a really enjoyable one for you, and I'm really glad you've come. Well, ten years ago, our family moved to a small town uh, called Walker near Armadale in New South Wales, uh, where I was to be the pastor of a small church. Uh, We weren't farmers, and so we had a lot to learn about farming life. Sometimes the differences were a bit confusing for us, and one of my city friends, when coming to Walker, asked the farmers what they'd been up to, and this friend noticed that the farmers kept saying, oh, fencing. And my city friend thought, what a curious thing. Why are so many of these farmers into such a peculiar sport? What's, what's going on in this town? It was hard, after all, to imagine some of them prancing around in white suits with their dueling swords. No, in Walker, fencing means fencing. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with fencing as a sport, but it's just that there was something so grounded and earthy about these farmers. They were the types who called a spade a spade. They were restrained in their praise, and they were much more into cricket than into fencing. And so you'd say of Steve Smith, for example, the world's greatest batsman at the time, he's an incredible batsman. He's averages over 60 runs per innings. He's second only to Don Bradman, people are starting to say. Incredible batsman, right? The farmer's response, yeah, he goes all right. It seemed to take a lot to overwhelm or impress them. They understated things. They were restrained in their praise. But they would, as an important principle and in their own way, give credit where credit is due. Well, tonight we'll see farmers, shepherds, encountering this baby named Jesus, and they can't help but give credit where credit is due. One moment, they're unsuspecting shepherds, keeping a a watchful eye on some sheep, and the next moment... They're hearing words of great praise flow out from their own mouths. They notice a new joy is filling their hearts, and their minds barely know what to do with the news that people on the other side of the world, 2,000 years later in Sydney, will be singing about. What on earth have they seen? What have they witnessed? Well, what powerful, enduring message so suddenly filled their hearts and might fill ours as well? What is it about Jesus that fills human hearts? But some might say, David, is it at all realistic to think that we could live with full hearts in a broken and compromised and brutal world? And this life can be pretty brutal, and some of us in this room, I take it, have been through some harrowing things. There's pain and emptiness and despair and depression and cancer and anxiety and despondency and addiction and fatigue. So again, what is it about Jesus that can fill human hearts? To find out, if you just look with me at the Bible passage, I'm just going to move briefly through this text, beginning from verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Good news, great joy, all the people. And we might wonder, could that include us? Yes, say the angels, all the people. Why? Because this news relevance is enduring by God's design. So what is the news 
Well, it may seem a bit antiquated as we read on. It uses ancient Israel's antiquated categories rather than today's language, but it's very, very powerful. So look with me at verse 11. Today in the town of David, King David, a saviour has been born to you. And more than a saviour, next it says he is the Messiah. That means in Israel's thought, the anointed king, the, the coming one, the chosen one. So to think of this in, in our categories, you might think Neo from The Matrix. Or you might think Harry Potter or Bilbo Baggins. The unlikely Messiah figures of their worlds. And although the true Messiah, Jesus, appears similarly weak and unlikely, this child embodies divine strength. Even more than saviour, king, verse 11 says, this baby is also somehow the Lord himself. So in other words, joy to the world, the Lord is come, let earth receive her king. That's what this text is all about. He's come to save us. And so we might think, save us from what? Who needs God to save us? And I don't mind making a confession to say I need saving. Um, I'm willing to confess tonight I make mistakes and I need to apologise to my wife and sometimes to my kids and sometimes to other people. I have a dark side that I seek to overcome with God's help day by day. The dark side, which the Bible tells me is called sin, means I've said things I shouldn't have said and I've betrayed friends by speaking behind their back and I've done things I don't want other people really to know about and I daily catch myself thinking things that aren't kind and aren't pure and they lead me to say, Lord, have mercy on me. Forgive me for that thought. That was beneath you and I'm sorry. Save me from your righteous justice. And I begin reading God's word and his hope fills my heart as I do that day by day. I feel like this saviour makes a big difference to me. He's saving me through my life. I call Jesus my brother, I call God my father, and his spirit enters my life and seems to give me a new strength and a desire to live in this pure way. I need God to save and help me, and in Jesus, this baby we hear about today, he does. One of my farming friends around that town, um, he said he'd grown up around a Christian home and he believed a lot of the things of Jesus, but he never saw that it had any relevance to him. And so I shared with him the good news that Jesus' life and death and resurrection isn't for just everybody else, it was meant for you. And so as he grasped that, it dawned on him the relevance of this person, Jesus. Until then, Jesus was a gift he was aware of, but a gift he had left unopened for those years of his life. But as the angels say there in verse 11, today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. So these shepherds go from minding their own business to suddenly knowing God's business. And it knocks them off their feet. It blows them away. And so in the song we're about to sing, long lay the world in sin and error pining until he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. For yonder dawn breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees. Hear the angels' voices. Friends, If we want God's Son to be our Saviour, He will be. But if we don't want Him to be our Saviour, He won't be. He's very powerful, but He's also very gentle. He doesn't coerce us or force us to call on Him or fall on our knees. 
Rather, tonight he invites us to take the angel's clarity of perspective as our own and say with verse 14, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. And will you just look at those earthy shepherds now, those farming types, verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. Hold on a minute, these are farmers, shepherds, grounded, understating, restrained in praise. Well, not anymore, it seems. God chooses these shepherds of all people to be his marketers, his promoters, his announcers, his son's first sales team. Not because of their eloquence or their education or their political or strategic connections, but because of their very groundedness that makes their witness all the more compelling. Their hearts are filled with this encounter of God. And all who hear them know that God has spoken. We see that in verse 18, coming to the end of the reading, all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Those unsuspecting shepherds have become unsuspecting believers and now witnesses, and their hearts are filled to overflowing. We read in verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. You know, perhaps in God's kindness, just in closing, some of us are here perhaps like those unsuspecting shepherds. I was just coming along to sing some carols, or I come because I always come to church, or I'm here because someone twisted my arm, or I'm here to support a friend. Some of us might think, I I really don't know why I'm here, but here I am. Whatever the case, some of us might be like those unsuspecting shepherds who tonight have stumbled again upon God's kind invitation to be saved from ourselves and to move from survival to profound joy and hope, peace. Whatever our longings, God is tonight offering to meet us with himself. We're now going to have uh, one of our pastoral team come and lead us in a short prayer. Thanks, Janet.